It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 212, with Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. This week, Apple Woes, Vision Pro, Netflix History, Sorting Data with ChatGPT. Good afternoon, Gary. Hey, Leo. How's it going? It is cold. We set yeah. record cold temperatures up here. Um, I know that this is probably um, laughable to you in the Denver area, but uh, our cold temperature, our lowest cold temperature this week was 10 degrees. Um, mm. We, I don't think we've ever seen single digits. So of course we were rooting for single digits, oh. but, um, but it didn't happen. Like I said, for around here, that's really, really cold. And of course we're not prepared for it. So. Yeah, it was cold here. We, I don't know if we set records, but it was definitely our deep freeze for the winter. I mean, we, we went below zero uh, here in the city, mm -hmm. uh, down to, we may have reached double digit negatives, but it was mostly just below zero, you know, negative two, negative four or whatever. But for basically several days straight and never got above, I'd say eight degrees positive. This is all Fahrenheit, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's just in case. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so it's really cold, but today was the day we came out of it. We have hit, I think we are now at a toasty 36 degrees. Um, and the snow we got along with the cold is finally melting away a little bit because it didn't, didn't get a chance to, but boy, it was, it was tough, especially when you got to walk a dog. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's tough for you. It's tough for the dog too. It's funny because when we uh, when when the weather is like this, for one thing, the dogs we didn't have any snow really to speak mm -hmm. of, so the ground is just frozen, and the yeah. dogs tend to like that. They'll roll around on their back for a bit, um, but then they kind of get a clue and they do their business and they're ready to come inside yep. really quick. They understand <laughs> the assignment as it. To, to be fair, it's it's kind of kind of nice in that regard. Well, yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And, and of course, uh, some people have like huskies and mm -hmm. and they have no idea what we're talking about. So yeah. they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I can't get the dog to come inside now. <laughs> I saw some, uh, uh, I think probably a TikTok or, or an Instagram video. Um, somebody just filled up a wading pool with ice and blocks of ice and the, the husky was just having a grand old time in there. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. Anyway, yeah. what you got? Well, so yeah, a bunch of stuff going on uh, in the Apple world. Uh, first, the the negative stuff. Apple today. I mean, it's uh, Monday. We're or no Tuesday. Sorry, we're talking about this. And and uh, between yesterday and today, I guess Apple got hit two with two pieces of bad news, both concerning the App Store. So, you know, the app store is where you go to download apps. Mostly people think of it for the iPhone, but there's mm -hmm. a Mac app store. There's, you know, a TV, an Apple TV app store and all of that. Well, they got hit first with the um, European Union. Uh, it, it, this is new. European Union had ruled basically that, okay, it's uh, time uh, for Apple not to have a monopoly on the, on the apps being sold to Apple devices. In other words, Apple's got to allow third-party app stores or some way for third-party apps to uh, get onto iPhones without uh, going through Apple's system. Right. And, uh, and, and the news is that, of course, Apple is now definitely preparing to split off the how things work for Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, so, you know, Europe's going to have one way of doing things and things will stay the same for us here in the United States, but in Europe, there's going to be some way we don't know exactly how it's going to work yet, whether it's going to be third party apps, a third party app store or, or stores, or there'll just be ways to sideload apps. Um, and that'll happen in Europe. And then of course the, uh, it's actually a huge debate. You know, anytime this is posted online, you'll regularly find hundreds or thousands of comments back and forth because you've got people cheering it on saying, you know, Apple's a monopoly and right. I should be able to load any software I want on my iPhone. And then other people, particularly people that uh, have ever had to support others using devices saying, oh no, <laughs> this means that it's going to be a, easier to install uh, malicious software. Mm -hmm. um, and, and which worries me a lot because uh, it's easy to just look at this from a, like a, a, a self-centered point and saying, well, it doesn't affect me, right? I just won't use those other app stores or maybe I will have a reason to use them, you know? But other people are going to maybe get things like a link. Hey, download this. 
right. and be like, oh, okay, this appears to be from my bank telling me to download something. And then they end up going to a third-party app store or a website and downloading something they shouldn't because they just don't understand the implications of it. And that's something we see on Macs and PCs all right. the time. Yep. But it's not been a problem on the iPhone because you really can't do that. You can't direct somebody to just download something random. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's kind of, you know, it's going to be happening in Europe. I won't even be able to see really what it's like, but uh, it, it would be interesting to see if the negative things that I fear happen and if they do, how they affect things in the United States. Because right now Apple can go and say, this is going to be bad news if they, you know, users can load stuff from third-party stores. Um, and the EU is saying, no, it's not. It'll be fine. But then there will be evidence. Like if it is actually bad news, right. Apple will be able to go to the United States and say, see what happened in Europe? Like scams are up, malware is up, you know, all this, you know, people are having a horrible time with their iPhones because uh, the users that aren't savvy in particular don't, um, you know, might be getting some malware. So that's that's the first thing. So on, on that one though, um, so I, you, you mentioned something that I didn't think about is that, you know, yeah. Apple in a sense can um benefit from a catastrophe in the eu in yeah the sense that they can use it as data to say we were right all along uh -huh. on the other hand if they actually wanted to do this in a way that uh, continue to provide maximal protection for all their folks yep. um, it doesn't have to be another app store all it really has to be is a way say even in the existing app store to say you know what i want this that's not in the app store to be installed on my phone and yeah. there'd be some official way to fetch things from outside of the app store. The neat thing about that is that um, not only can, well, of course, they'll probably throw up the uh, the you know warning after warning oh, saying sure. oh, you're, you're about to shoot yourself in the foot, but it also gives them the opportunity to do things like um, uh, virus scan, you know, so they can actually scan it for malicious software. Right, but that puts a lot of uh, you know doing an on-the-fly virus scan kind of thing. I mean, that's a lot for Apple to be doing. Right? Well, it's you know? it's actually not necessarily as bad as you think, because one of the ways that um, a lot of these tools do that is that they end up finding um, a malicious file, mm -hmm. and then they just take a hash. So all the, oh, the application okay. has to do, all the phone has to do is hash the, the download and um, submit that to Apple. And if it is um, uh, you know, listed, in the list of malicious hashes, then it can say, you know, don't do that. Well, it'd be um, great course, if they did that. Yeah. Yeah. But who knows? It'll be interesting to see exactly which path they choose. It'll be interesting to see. And even how they do it, like um, from a technology standpoint, I would be just not thinking about the user experience, but, you know, just have, just allow uh, app packages to be downloaded from a web address. Right. You know, you, mm -hmm. right now you, you know, click on the web on an image to download and it may prompt you. Do you want to add this to your photos collection? Do you want to download as a file? You know, it's a uh, context sensitive. What, it, what is it you're downloading? If you download a, an image package or an, uh, an app package, it may say, oh, do you want to install this? You know, this file um, that would allow then Apple to say, hey, we don't need to support any kind of app store kind of thing or whatever. Build whatever you want on the web. Or build whatever you want in your own app, but this type of file will be handled as like an installer, right? And then Apple doesn't have to maintain an interface or anything like that. Uh, that's great from a technology standpoint, but it doesn't have any of the stuff you were talking about, which is the, right. which is the but problem. It could. It's a central point on your phone where all this stuff comes through, and that's where they can add this kind of stuff. Right. Um, so the second piece of bad news is something that affects them in the United States. And that is, uh, you know, there's this lawsuits been going on for years of Epic Games uh, versus Apple uh, over, you know, Apple saying, you know, uh, uh, if you if you have an app in the App Store, uh, you know, you've got to follow our rules. And one of those rules is that if you have an in-app purchase, like a membership, uh, we take, uh, well, but they, the number keeps getting thrown around 30%, but it's 30% for big like multi-million dollar apps it's much less for smaller apps um and you know they they basically claimed well you can't you know force us to you know it's kind of blackmail you, we have to be in the app store and we have to pay this amount or we can't uh have memberships right um whereas there's some apps that do like netflix you pay netflix directly for membership yet you get the app netflix in the app store 
Right. Um, so Apple won that case in every respect except one. And that one is that Apple has this rule that says uh, if you have a way to buy your thing, your membership, uh, you can't mention it in the app. Like somebody has to be like you go on to the app and it's like members can do this, but there's no mention of how to become a member. Right. You got to figure out, oh, I have to go to their website. Now I'm a member. Now I have an ID and I can log in. If you want to say in the app, oh, buy, uh, you know, buy a membership, right. then that has to be through the app store. Well, the the case that Apple won against Epic had the one little thing that Apple lost, which is they have to allow that. They have to allow the app to say, hey, you can go here and buy a membership. You know, here's a link to our website. Less even, yeah. Yeah. So, so Apple, kind of what happened is uh, that was appealed to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court simply did what they do most of the time, which is they turned down the, you know, the proposal to be heard or whatever. Right. In other words, upholding the highest court's ruling. So so it's over. And Apple's going to have to change that rule, which actually may even impact me uh, in a good way. Uh, because, for instance, that rule came into effect for my uh, Clip Tools app. Because in the Clip Tools app, in the first version of it, I simply had a link in it saying, hey, this app, by the way, is supported by my you know, Patreon supporters. Right. And then there's a link to a web page that said, hey, you can support MacMost to Patreon. Apple considered that uh, to be – even though it, it did not change how the app worked in any way. Like you had right. full 100% access to the app whether or not you were supporting. Apple said, no, no, that's got to be – if you want to do that – do it through the app store, have like a thing where they could purchase like a, you know, a, a monthly subscription to support it. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> First right. of all, I don't want, you know, it's, that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to build like a, you know, Patreon, people get benefits and there's a community and all that stuff. Um, so I just took that link out and it'll be interesting to see like when they issue the rule change, I'll probably get some sort of notification that policies have been updated and then there'll be some minor rule change or something. Uh, if I could put that link back in and just, you know, hint to people that use clip tools that there is a way to support this is this free app <laughs> that you got for free. There is a way to support it right right now. It's there's funny. no clue to that. I vaguely recall, and I honestly can't tell, I can't remember if it was a, um, an Apple app or a, um, an Android app, but I definitely have seen the scenario where, uh, when you go to the, the app and it says, Hey, you know, you want to pay us, be it a subscription or a purchase or whatever, you can pay us this much here, or if you go to this website, we'll charge you less, um, which is ultimately what they're, sounds like they're going to be able to do now. Yeah, um, I don't know. It I mean, it's so much sense. The other, the other side of that, of course, is that like Kindle is a great example because uh, if you're on um, an iPad, which I sometimes mm -hmm. am when I'm reading my Kindle, um, you cannot buy a book in the Kindle app. Yeah. You just can't. They will tell you to go to the website, which of course you can then open in in you know whatever browser you feel like, and it'll work just fine. But uh, you know they explicitly disallow for presumably this very reason. Now the question is, that can't change from what I hear you saying. The only thing they can do is be a little bit clearer about um, going to the web to purchase things. Yeah, I and I think the rule you're talking about may have actually changed previously um because if if i remember correctly yes uh i just confirmed like the same thing you know kindle is amazon so is right. audible right. and the audible app used to have the annoying thing where the audible app was great for listening to audiobooks and they even had a section where you could browse to find new audiobooks yeah. but i had to go and put the phone down and go to the website to actually yeah. buy one and then it would appear in my library uh a while ago maybe a year maybe more uh that changed and now i can definitely purchase the books inside the audible app and it's using my my credits and everything so i I've, i don't know i've never purchased something in audible with a uh you know actual cash you know right, right. i've always done it with credits but so i don't know you know if that makes a difference but um it's definitely using the membership i've got there so i and there was a change to that because there, there are a lot of different factors there's the first one you mentioned like charging a different price buy directly from us for this price uh, price buy uh through the app store for this price there's the 
Um, can you purchase something inside the app, which obviously it's always been allowed with physical shopping apps like Amazon, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, but it may not be allowed for uh, digital sites like, you know, purchasing a, a you know, a video or, or something like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of different aspects and the rules are very hard. I mean, that's exactly how I got in trouble with that little support, you know, Mac most to Patreon thing in my Mac app was I read the rules. Right. And I said, this doesn't violate them. Nope. I'm good. I put it in. It was actually an approved app. And at some update, they flagged it and said, no. And they showed me the exact line of the rules. And I read it and I said, yeah, I guess you could interpret it either way, <laughs> you know, which is why I didn't think it was like a problem originally. So it'll be, it'll be interesting um, to see. I don't think it's going to make, I don't think that is going to make a huge difference. Uh, I think the EU thing, that's going to be really interesting to watch and see what happens with uh, with security and um, support issues. I mean, could you also imagine, I know that the Apple's own support is you're groaning, thinking like, oh boy. So now when people come in with my iPhone isn't working right, we have to deal with like, there could be anything on this phone, right? You know, which is something the Mac support groups have dealt with forever. But yeah. the iPhone support groups are like, well, at least I know uh, certain factors. Like one is every app here is from the App Store, unless it's jailbroken or something like that. And um, but now it's like they don't know. They don't know what they downloaded. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. So anyway, that's that's all. That's the bad. That's like kind of like the things that are kind of like negative, negatively affecting Apple stock price right now. On the other side, uh, we've got, of course, we're about to hit the time of the Apple Vision Pro, Apple's newest big product in a long time, probably since the Apple Watch. I mean, you know, we have AirPods and things like that, but these were kind of accessories. The Vision Pro is huge, right? It's it's a big, expensive platform it's a whole platform and we knew it was coming early this year usually apple apple speak for like first half of the year means it's coming out june 30th you know or <laughs> early means it's coming out sometime in late april early may you know right, right. Um, and then we got news a couple of weeks ago that it's like no early means february 2nd <laughs> and everybody's like oh and matter of fact you'll be you could order it uh this friday uh january 19th um, so that is indeed very early. Any earlier would have been shocking considering, you know, people have to come back from holidays and, right. you know, ramp up for this kind of thing. Uh, and they have training to do in stores and they have to install things for the, you know, to have them in stores and lots of stuff going on. So it's coming and it's coming fast. Uh, tons of rumors and things are flying around. But what we're going to have, there are some reviewers that have kind of gotten their hands on it uh, to see what it's like. A lot of conflicting opinions flying around. Uh, I think part, we're basically into now this thing where it's like the problem is the only people that have it are tech reviewers. And tech reviewers are people kind of like you and me, <laughs> uh, kind of a subset of people like you and me. Right. They're highly technical. Uh, they know about a ton of different products and they have high expectations. And it, it's a very small subgroup of the general population. Sometimes reviews of tech products can be way off simply because the actual audience and the type of person that's a tech reviewer can be very different. So we're at the point now where we know everything we're going to know until real users start getting it and either praising it or complaining about it. What I What's interesting to me, though, is that um, it's still like in the multi-thousand price range, right? $3,500, yeah. Um, so... Even the target audience isn't the average user, right? Oh, yeah. The target audience is probably also skewed towards um, technical ability um, and and I'm not even sure how else to describe it, but <clears throat> besides having a, a large wallet. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. I think it's the case where what we would consider to be a truly average consumer is actually going to be walking up to buy these things. It's going to be a subset, again, still a subset that's probably going to be closer to the characteristics of the, of the trade press and you and me than it is uh, a quote unquote normal person. 
Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think the the people buying it will actually have more money than the typical person that works as a tech reviewer, um, with, with the exception of kind of the influencer types. I don't know how many of these things I've heard. I think most of the stuff I've read is a bit from actual real like journalists, but Right. uh, you know, so there's also the influencers. So people that have some tech savvy, but are more about the, you know, how, how cool is this than like, you know, how, what's the processor speed, that kind of thing. Um, and the, they tend to, would tend to have the same amount of money as a lot of the people that want to
Um, I remember attending a CES one year and that was the big thing. They were all over the place. And then, you know, within a year they were gone. Um, my concern here is actually be the fact that there is a little bit, a little bit of precedent for this technology in the form mm -hmm. of uh, meta, right? What yeah. they're and that doesn't seem to be going all that great. Now, the problem is we don't know um, if it's a problem with the implementation, if it's a problem with the technology, or if it's a problem because um, all their attention suddenly got shifted to AI, right? Yeah. Which I've also heard, right? They've they've decreased the emphasis on, on um, uh, the virtual world, and they're now throwing all the resources at AI. So I'm concerned that um, ultimately... This is a, a, I don't want to say it's a solution in search of a problem, because there are absolutely some wonderful problems that will be solved by this. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that, uh, again, the average consumer actually has any of those problems. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, one of the things, that, of course, Apple is quick to say is the difference between theirs and previous ones is, you know, super high resolution of the screens of course. that they're going to have. And um, and you know I really have to see what it's it's like. I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm excited. I, I know there's a bunch of you know you're going to be able to watch movies right away with the thing, mm -hmm. right? That's already built in, and you can go use the Apple TV app in there and watch pretty much almost anything I do on regular TV. I'll be able to watch on this thing, but it'll feel like I'm watching a huge screen when right. in fact I have no screen, which will be interesting and. Um, I could instantly see why that would be a much better experience on an airplane where <laughs> I often wear uh, like, you know, a, a mask anyway to try to get to sleep. So right. I'm used to actually putting this thing on my head in front right. of my eyes, trying to block out all light. I could see actually putting it on and just having it turned off, just <laughs> using it as a very good like, you know, eye mask. But then being able to then have also a, you know, a movie appear to be, uh, you know, a huge cinema screen in front of me will be fantastic. Um I of course one of the first things I want to try is try using its ability to have uh be a Mac screen. Right. So I actually can, you know, use my Mac without my displays here, sit with my hands, you know, you same keyboard and, and mouse. And and uh actually, you know, that's another thing this thing does is it works with uh trackpad and keyboard mm -hmm. right out of the box. So you can use an existing uh trackpad and, and keyboard. And you don't have to mess around with any kind of like voice interface or, you know, other stuff. You can work with apps like you're used to working with apps. Um, it, you just use it more for the 3D vision of it. I, I don't know. It, it's it's interesting. And it, and I guess the big news here is it's happening fast. It, yeah. it seemed like recently it was like, oh, well, Apple's announced it, but it's far off. And now we're looking at, you know, Friday, I should be placing my order. And then two weeks. I may have it if I'm lucky. Well, I look That's... forward to hearing how the ordering process went next week and uh, yeah. set our expectations to hear what you have to say about it when you finally get your hands on it. Yep. So changing gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, we obviously, we took a month off in December, actually a little bit more than a month, the end of the year, but we did not take a month off from consuming content, the kind of stuff that we normally yeah. mention down in our Ain't It Cool section. So I was sitting here earlier today thinking, you know, we watched a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that was good that at the time I said, you know, that would make a good Ain't It Cool or that would make a good Ain't It Cool. Mm -hmm. And I decided, but I can't remember any of them. So I tried to see if um, any of the services I use would allow me to view my viewing history, mm. which surprisingly doesn't seem to be the case by and large. Uh, couldn't find such a thing on Hulu, couldn't find such a thing on Amazon Prime, uh, couldn't directly find something like that on Netflix, except, I um, mean, this was kind of weird. You know how in a lot of services, including like Google and Microsoft and so forth, there's mm -hmm. there's ways to basically download all your information. They don't yeah. necessarily make a, a, a lineation of what kind of information, it's just all your information. And as it turns out, there is such a thing in Netflix. And it promises to include your uh, viewing history. I said, great, this is just what I need. Um, and it's so it's one of those cases where you 
find the hidden link deep in your profile in your Netflix account, only in a web browser, and click the link to say, yes, please give me my, uh, my history, my, my everything download. And it says, okay, this is one of those cases where it says, okay, we'll let you know when it's done, right? We'll send you an email because it's going to take us some time. It can take them up to 30 days to mm. get this information, which boggles my mind um, that, that that would be the case. Um, it's not like it's a whole bunch of information. Um, it's not like it's information that I, I, I just can't conceive that information of being particularly difficult to retrieve. And yet um, they're saying, you know, it could take a while, a long while. Um, and I'm the kind of person that gets annoyed when an unsubscribe takes more than a day. So I I look forward to it. I mean, I, I my saving grace for, for Ain't It Cools of the Future is that I, you know, for many of these things, these are shows that I added to, quote unquote, my stuff in Hulu or, you know, my, you know, the, the equivalent of, of adding it to your own list. So, you know, I've got a number of them. But uh, especially on Netflix, no, that's not really the way that it happened. And I'm looking forward to getting this list in a month. So you may have your Apple Vision Pro before I get my download history, my viewing history in Netflix. Well, I, I hate to bring this up, but I, I, I saw your, your item there on, on our you know, itinerary. Mm -hmm. And I thought you were going to talk about what you had viewed. So I went to Netflix and I said, Give me my viewing history. Uh huh. Um, and it took one second. No. And no, I have a list of 2,654 shows I've watched dating back to September 2011. This is bizarre. Mm -hmm. um, That's I'm, weird. It's I very... thought that you were to talk about it. Like, here's the first show I watched. So I wanted to be able to go and tell you. And, huh. That is really strange. Yeah. So... I don't maybe, know. Maybe you watch a lot more than I do. So I is, two... I've got a request in progress. Okay. Um, rated on today. Huh. Um, and it's just in progress. There's nothing. So do you, do you, can you show me where it is? Is that something that you've got in front of you or? Oh, maybe... my list or your, or where to go to get, get that? How you got it. Oh, how I got it. Yeah. I did a search because you didn't put a link, right? So uh -huh. I did a search for a Netflix uh, download watch history, was it? Um, like and then I came, yeah. Yeah, I, I came to a page, how to see viewing history and device activity. And uh, and then there's a, if you're, let's see, from a web browser, go to your account page, which I right. did, open the profile and parental controls, open viewing activity. And then there was a show more button which I said, oh, this is going to take a while. But then there was a download button next to it. So I clicked on that. And then it said, it briefly for one second said something like preparing your data. And then there was the button that said download. <laughs> and then I downloaded it and got my huge list. So profile and parental controls, I'm there. What was after that? Viewing activity. Viewing activity. And no. then... There, there was yeah, so uh, bizarre. There's a download all button, son of a gun. Yeah, and it just it just now downloaded a CSV for me. Well, that, there you go. Yeah, so, so yeah, bizarre. I don't know what this other thing is then that's taking them a month. Maybe you're going to get more detailed information because all I got were names of shows and a date, and but I really wanted was a running time because I wanted to see how much <laughs> of my life I wasted. How many hours you took? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So let's see. So um, I will answer that one question. The first thing that we watched uh, was in uh, March of 2010. Okay. You beat me the by a little Pink bit. Panther Classic Cartoon Collection. Oh, okay. Followed by Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, followed by Starship Troopers, followed by Futurama, Sons of Anarchy, etc. Huh. Very interesting. Yep, yeah, I, I see all my history. It's really fascinating because I can see like, you know, I oh this so that's when I watched, uh, you know, Mad Men. That's when I watched Breaking Bad. Uh, you know, that this is when I watched. I mean, obviously, it's only things on Netflix, which is, uh, you know, I'd rather have like, 
everything from all the different services. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah but yeah. in the early days, you know, if I go back the first few years, it was just Netflix, right? right. There right. wasn't really anything else. I mean, I think there was probably early Hulu, right? I don't think I used that. So there's a lot of stuff there. And there's a lot of stuff that I know isn't available. Like I'm seeing a lot of British TV shows mm -hmm. in the early days. And I know what has happened since is, you know, the British TV shows all went to Netflix. They did a good job of kind of getting them into the US. And then things like BritBox and Acorn and such were born. Yes. The licenses expired for Netflix and they went over to those services. Um, so, and even stuff like, uh, I see Buffy, rewatching a Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I don't think is on Netflix now. I think it's on another one. So, yeah, a lot yeah. of. So, yes, as it turns out, I absolutely have, you know, like I stumbled across something that I'd forgotten about completely that would certainly be an ain't it cool entry for me. So, okay, well, thank you for pointing me at that. I, I. <laughs> It took a, I took a left turn somewhere and, and got to the wrong place. Yeah, well, yeah, it's funny because I just I was trying to predict what we were talking about and then be able to chime in with my own stuff. So, hmm. Oh, well. Oh, well, indeed. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to bring up is that um, at the end of last year, I asked my newsletter subscribers mm -hmm. to know what their biggest struggle with technology was. Um just because it's one of those nice open-ended questions, you get all sorts of interesting answers, um, and it sometimes can really help refine the direction, right? It's sometimes it's it's very easy to assume certain types of technology are the problem, or just overlook that certain types of technology you think it's not a problem, but it turns out to be one of the bigger ones. So I do yep. that periodically. Got a bunch of responses. Um, thank you to the, of course, to the newsletter subscribers who did so, and. Um, it was kind of sort of, I don't know, struggling is the wrong word, but um, kind of thinking about how do I, what do I do with this information? I mean, I certainly, I read through all of the responses and, and of course, when you do that in the back of your mind, you kind of sort of have a sense for um, what's hitting hard, you know, what, mm -hmm. what kind of things show up a lot. Um, but that seemed less than, I don't know, less than complete. I mean, right. among other things, it relied on my memory, which, you know, <laughs> by definition is less than complete. So I decided to throw it at ChatGPT. Oh, okay. Now, I did two different things. Um, first, uh, I, I collected all of the answers, just the answers out of the email, uh, which was a bit of a struggle, but, you know, regular expressions and a strong editor. And, and basically I got everything that I needed um, without any you know, names or anything like that, just the commentary that people were sending me. Um, and what's interesting about that, of course, is that throughout all of these responses, you get a wide variety, not just of issues, but of the way the issues are presented, the terminology used, um, the, the quality of the English that's being used, uh, the grammar, the misspellings, all that kind of stuff. And my sense from the past was that ChatGPT is actually pretty good at um, understanding all that stuff anyway. Right? right. I mean, the kind of stuff that you and I, I mean, we deal with it all the time. So we get a sense for what they're trying to say, regardless of the words they actually use. Um, and my sense was that ChatGPT is actually doing a pretty reasonable job with that. So um, I basically copy pasted all of the answers into ChatGPT, and I asked it two questions. Um, the first one I asked, actually, it's, it's in the reverse on the page that I point people at, but it's, the first question I asked was, um, please summarize these responses. Now, the question was, what's your biggest struggle with respect to technology? Please summarize these responses, followed by pasting everything. Mm -hmm. ChatGPT gave me a wonderful list of 29 specific things um, that were represented in those responses. Um, everything from, you know, transition difficulties from Windows 7 to Windows 10, including concerns about safety and cloud storage, frustration with the complexity of frequent changes, you know, the, the kinds of the usual stuff. It gets longer, right? There's, there's definitely some stuff that um, I would not necessarily have remembered out of just just scanning the list or reading the list, but it's giving me a nice long list of things to consider and prioritize in the coming year. Now, the other question I asked was, 
Okay, great. After you've done all that, the only thing, I didn't even have to paste the text back in again because it's a chat. It actually is remembering your context. I said, okay, great. What were the top five concerns? And it gave me the top five concerns. Difficulties with Windows 10 and 11, complexity and changes in Microsoft Office applications, the rapid pace of technological change, mm. which absolutely is a, is something that I hear about all the time. The re, um, problems with cloud-based software and storage, which honestly, I think is really all about OneDrive right now with Microsoft. Um, and of course, issues with device features and usability. Those sound like very generic kind of concerns, but they really are very common threads to a lot of the questions that I get throughout the year. But it was very, very interesting to see how well ChatGPT actually was able to take all of that information and interpret it, understand it to begin with, and then synthesize it into these two different views. Um, mm. This is one of the things, there's a lot of, of uh, concern about chat GPT, um, you know, hallucinating that kind of stuff. And that really only happens when you ask it a question, it has to go out and get information. But if you provide it a bunch of information and ask it to operate on that information, it actually turns out to be an incredibly, incredibly useful tool. I love for exactly this kind of thing. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting, both the lists that resulted from this exercise, which like I said, to me is very valuable in, in setting up some direction and priorities over the course of the next year. Um, and the way that I got it, the fact that ChatGPT made, uh, made making this list uh, a whole lot easier than it would have been in the past. Cool. Yeah, I've heard uh, of people using ChatGPT for this kind of thing, and it is one of the things I, I used to have surveys just like that. Um, you know, where I did the open-ended question. You know, what's your biggest problem, or right. what is it you want to learn? Just open, and then just let people type what they want, and then right. you get every everything from a page somebody would type to uh -huh. two words, and you know, tons of stuff. And then you just read through it, and you you know, with a notepad next to you, and just try to like jot down your thoughts as you read through it. And I've, I have thought that, oh, I should probably do one of these at some point again, and then have chat GPT actually summarize it for me, just like exactly like you did. Yep. Um, so yeah, something like I'm going to have to get to at some point. Right? <laughs> I, I have all that old data. I should actually go back to the ones from previous years and throw that in. <laughs> it might, yeah, it might help me. Valid. It's one of the reasons that I actually yeah. keep questions that are submitted to me so that if I ever want to, I can do an analysis of everything that's been asked over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've been using, I used uh, chat GPT a lot. I think in the last two, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about, I was doing some server stuff where I was trying to figure out like from my log files, who was attacking my server and everything. Yeah. And um, well, the, I use chat GPT for that a lot because, you know, these server logs, well, you know, first they're just these lines are just filled with all sorts of stuff, right? And some of it's space separated until you get to a part that's not space separated, right? You know, and some of some of it's got oh, there's brackets around the time, but then the this part doesn't have you know it's all this stuff, and then the the the, the logs are different. You know, you have an access log, and right next to it you have an error log. Right. You think they would use the same format? No, <laughs> it looks like they went so out of their way to use like completely different formats. Um, so, but to summarize that, I wrote, of course, shell scripts to do it. Mm -hmm. They involve using lots of different shell programs, grep, awk, sed, everything. There's like yep. a better tool to, oh, you want to break it up into columns? This will do that. Oh, yep. you want to just figure out which ones have IP addresses at that point? This one will do it. So you end up piping to all these different apps and you end up with a really long line. So it's one command line. It's just a really long command line. It's a really long command line. Uh, I had ChatGPT write those for me. And so what I would do is I would basically say, I here's a, a sample from the log file. I need to have uh, everything grouped by IP address, each IP address counted, and then a list of the, the last item there, which is like the path that it was going to uh, after it on each line. And, and it worked didn't really work out of the box very well. Like that, what I just said there was a really useful way to read log files. So I could see the worst offender. I could see how many times they tried to access the server and they get this list of what they were trying to do. Um, the access log, I asked ChatGP to write that for me. And it was like, yeah, okay. I recognize all of this. This is 
I would have arrived at this in a few minutes if I had done it myself. But okay. thanks for saving me those few minutes. Yep. The error log, no, ChatGPT was like, here it is. And I'd run it and like, no, that's no, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> and then I'd complain to ChatGPT, that didn't work at all. And it would say, apologies, here's one that should work. Okay, that is character for character, the same as what you gave me before. <laughs> And so then I actually got frustrated and just said, well, if you're just going to give me the same thing, I'm going to give you the same thing. So I just went back and said, no, that's wrong. Please fix it. No, that's wrong. Please fix it. No, that's wrong. Please fix it. Oh, wait, you, hey, you gave me a different one this time. <laughs> hey, this one works. <laughs> How weird. So, yeah. I, and a lot of the times I had to go and get uh, like micro on it where I'd be like, I know what part isn't working that you gave me. So let me just take you take that piece out and feed it back to you and say, this is what you gave me and it's giving me this. How could it give me that? And and I'd fix that. It did save me time. Uh, and it, you know, it probably in saving me time actually helped me arrive at a good solution because I think if I had done it on my own, I would have given up and said, oh, what I have now is good enough. But right. with ChatGPT, I was able to go and say, yo, I'd like them to be sorted this way. Let's see if I can add that in and, and ChatGPT will help me with that. So so yeah, it was really nice. And I have a very nice way to find out who's abusing my server now, um, thanks to a lot of these little shell scripts. Um, and it's it's scary stuff. Actually, the most interesting thing, uh, I uh, the scariest thing I found is two weeks ago, we talked about how it's scary how somebody will hit your server a thousand times trying all these different exploits, right? right. That's scary. I found something scarier. The mm. other end of that chart the other end, I looked at just, I got this idea and I looked at it and said, what about the IP addresses that hit my server exactly one time in right. 24 hours? And I found at the bottom end, a ton of IP addresses every day that do one thing. They tried to go to the login page for WordPress, which isn't there because right. well, most of my sites don't have WordPress and the two that do, that's not where the login page is. Right, right. And I start. I got chills because I thought that's all this IP address did. Wh whatever compromised computer is out there, it went to my server once, and it just did this one thing. And I will go completely under the radar, right? I will not notice that normally unless I happen to look at the other end here. And there's nothing I can do. I'm not. I, there's hundreds of them, and thinking that these are going out to hundreds or millions of servers, right? And just yeah. trying, trying yeah. one time. Yep. I'm just I just want to see if you've got this WordPress login page. And if you right. do, I'm going to add that to a report. I don't know. It just really it was kind of scary. I was like, this is devious. It's it's like the idea of uh, you know, uh, you know, would you rather be attacked by like a, a dragon or you know, a thousand rats? You know, <laughs> and it's like, you know, oh, okay, well, you know, the dragon is just one thing. If I can manage to figure out how to kill the dragon, I'm fine. Well, what do you do against a thousand rats, right? You know, it's like this is these are the thousand rats. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. It's because when you said that it hit your server exactly one time in yeah. a 24 hour period, uh, I don't know how your sites are constructed, but hitting it exactly and only one time, um, there is, I can't think of a valid scenario where that would actually happen. Yeah, exactly. Because you just need to ask for one resource that one time. Yeah. It's interesting. And of course, it, it may be that if it found the WordPress login page. Of course, yeah, yeah. Then maybe it would have done. Although I don't think so. I really, my my intuition tells me that something like that doesn't actually do anything but report back a it's list collection. and yeah. says, hey, okay, for the next stage when you want to attack some servers, here's a list of ones that are ready for attack. Right. So anyway. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, there was one thing I was going to throw in here at the last minute. Mm -hmm. um, that is that I got a message um, actually earlier today that uh, the Google was reminding me that Google Podcast is going away. Now, I actually ended up using Google Podcasts for a while. Mm. Uh, it was a convenient uh, podcast app. Um, the nice thing about it, of course, is that it was synchronized across all my devices that I cared about. Um and, you know, it was okay. Uh, I used it. I'm now using Pocket Casts, uh, which um, actually is almost perfect for the way I tend to listen to podcasts. But the interesting thing about it was, well, I have two interesting things. One is they are now having you migrate your podcast 
list. You're, I don't know if they're exporting to OPML or not, but they're migrating you to YouTube music, which apparently is also has its own podcast player, plus hmm. the rest of YouTube music behind it. Um, I just, my initial reaction was great. It's yet another Google app that people hmm. like that they're canceling. Um, and that's that the more often that happens, I mean, let's face it, I'm still bitter about Google Reader, but the point is that it really makes it hard to invest considering using Google apps that aren't truly mainstream. I mean, I feel safe with Google Mail. I feel safe with Google Drive. Um, but some of these other things that they're constantly playing with or experimenting with or have out for a couple of years, you run a 50-50 chance that it's just not going to be there someday. And that's mm -hmm. kind of frustrating. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they used to Google, you used to have something called FeedBurner. Yes, that? FeedBurner, yeah. And I just checked and it's still, so they shut it down a long time ago, except it's still there. <laughs> um, you can't I add think... to it, but I think it's still a processing feeds, right? Yeah, it's still processing feeds. And I'm not sure. I know I was using it one time and I, I wonder if I still am. Um <laughs> I think I think the, the at the end when they stopped with all the stats and all that stuff, I basically was using it for bandwidth because the, the RSS feed itself it can be pretty big. Oh right. right. And then when you have these uh you know pod catchers updating daily regardless of whether or not the the actual listener or viewer is actually using it um it, it tended to be like the biggest item like in terms feed, of bandwidth feed burner uh, and your cdm yeah. so i am i i i wonder i wonder but you know the my podcast feed is something i neglect i don't really uh know like how many people use it anymore i mean right. it's kind of really you know it's not my main thing anymore not the main way for me to get um get my content to people i you, you can't even find it used to be that uh the if you went to podcast the podcast app from apple and you looked you could actually say show me video podcasts and when you did you could say show me tech video podcasts and you'd find mac most there you know it was one of like the episodes would be ranked sometimes in the top 10 and MacMost itself would be ranked in the top 100. But when they updated the app at some point, they just combined audio and video. Mm -hmm. And it's just podcasts. So now you go to tech podcasts, and I think they rank the top 200. And I've never seen MacMost make an appearance at the top 200. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that all of the top 200 are audio podcasts right? Uh, and uh, episodes as well. So basically, there's no way to actually find MacMost on the podcast app, unless you search specifically for MacMost. And if you're searching specifically for MacMost, then you already know that MacMost exists. And the job of the podcast app for me is done. Right. You know, <laughs> subscribe to my newsletter. Don't worry about the podcast. And, you know, all it's that. It's funny. I, we actually, when we, when we do um, videos for Ask Leo, um, I've, I've toyed with podcasts back and forth. For a while, I had an actual podcast um, for a while, I started just narrating my articles at a po as a podcast. And now what I'm doing is uh, for every article that I publish, there's a companion video, but we actually strip the audio from the video and make that available as a podcast. In most cases, it's actually a valuable audio podcast, but I have absolutely no idea how many people are looking at it. Unlike YouTube, right, where you get some numbers about how many people are actually watching the video. Yeah. Um, I'm not seeing any data about how many people are listening to the podcast and it's definitely not going through FeedBurner. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, so we talked about Ain't It Cool earlier. What you got? So uh, this doesn't sound tech related. Well, Ain't It, Ain't it Cool doesn't have to be tech related, but um, a, a lot of programmers my generation love the band Rush. Uh, and as it turns out, uh, over the last uh, about a month or two ago, uh, Getty Lee, the uh, lead singer and bassist for Rush, came out with his biography, his autobiography. Um, so, uh, you know, gave that a, a read or a listen and everything. And, uh, and, and it's great to get all the behind the scenes uh, info on on that. And of course, uh, a large part of his story is the fact that he comes from a family of Holocaust survivors, uh, both both sides, his mother and father's side, uh, Holocaust survivors moved to Canada 
uh, after the war, um, having survived some of the worst uh, concentration camps. And he used his biography as a way to get that story down because uh, it had never been published in any form. So like the first few chapters are basically him talking about both uh, his mother's father and his aunts and uncles and all that and their story of surviving the Holocaust so they could get to Canada, so they can get to Toronto, so that he could be born and he could go to school and totally throw away his education to become a rock star. <laughs> um, so it's a, and then, then you get all the stuff album by album, uh, uh, tour by tour of Rush and everything. So. Cool. Good read. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's mm -hmm. yeah, funny. Um, my parents immigrated to Canada probably about the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's see. So, um, obviously, over the past month and a half or so, I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of watching. Um, the one that I just I, I just finished, what turns out to be right now a trilogy, although there's rumors of a fourth book coming out, and it's called The Rook. The, first, the name of the first book is The Rook. Uh, it's now tagged as the Rook series, even though the Rook, who's the primary character in the first book, is actually just a, a secondary or almost even a cameo in some of the other books. But what's cool about it is, is what I would call contemporary magic. In other words, you know, magic is real, um, but there's an organization that is set up to uh, basically protect um, the UK and it's a secret organization and they handle all of these magical things that end up happening around the country to, you know, to keep it not only safe, but secret from the rest of the, uh, from the normal population. Um, there's obviously a lot more to it than that, but over the course of three books, um, it starts out with basically just contemporary magic. The second book introduces what I would consider to be kind of a sci-fi aspect to it. And then the third book, which I just finished last night, adds almost a historical aspect to it because some of the um, a story takes place during World War II. So again, I enjoyed it. It was an interesting read. It was a, definitely a case where uh, I stumbled across it somewhere, went to buy it, and found that my wife had already purchased it. So, you know, like a couple of years ago. So <laughs> apparently she endorses it as well. Hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, it's got me interested. I'm looking it up now. Yeah. Um, oh, and by the way, the first book, at least, has apparently been turned into a TV show. I'm not exactly sure where. Um, we did find it. It was like it's been out for like three or four years. We didn't hear about it beforehand. So at some point, we're going to find it and watch it and once again, see how well it corresponds to the uh, to the book. Cool. In terms of blatant self-promotion, okay, this one is truly blatant. Um, I'm pointing everybody at newsletter.askleo.com in celebration of the fact that this morning I published issue number 1000 wow. of my newsletter, um, which I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've you know been doing this for 20 years. I'm proud of that. Um, you know, have like multiple thousands of articles on the site. Proud of that. But for some reason, uh, rolling over on this arbitrary number of newsletter publications. Um, I'm just, I'm just tickled pink by having accomplished that. It's, it's yeah. very cool. It's, it's a lot, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I think I've told you before, the one thing, you know, when I take a look at Ask Leo's history, one of the things I wished I would have done sooner is start my newsletter sooner because mm -hmm. it actually doesn't start, you know, Ask Leo's from 2003. The newsletter first one is in 2005. Uh, but, uh, but nonetheless, it's been interesting. It's been fun. And uh, like I said, issue number one thousand anyway newsletter.askleo.com if you're not already a subscriber check it out fantastic um i've got an anniversary thing too but it's not my anniversary it's it's the max anniversary uh it, it will actually be next week on january 24th 40 years since the introduction of the mac since steve jobs took the stage the 1984 commercial the whole bit mm -hmm. um that happened in 1984 on january 24th and uh, recognizing that was coming up, I worked really hard on a, a, a unique video. This is definitely a contender for a video I spent the most time on. It's, it's a 40-year timeline animated across 10 minutes showing every Mac model, uh, images for a lot of the critical ones, like when there were major design changes, and some other milestones like when operating systems came out and things like that. Uh, over this basically animated 40-minute timeline, and you could watch it go from the the very first uh, you know Mac 128 
uh, all the way to the uh, iMacs and MacBook Pros that were released this year or last this last year, uh, you know, and just see the evolution of it. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a video I'm really proud of. And I think it turned out pretty well. Cool. I'm going to have to take a look at that one. I remember those days. I don't know if I told you um, when I was I was at Microsoft, of course, at that time. Mm. And um, I was across the hall from somebody who uh, had his uh, the, we all had private offices. He had his relight the window into the hallway papered over. Mm. Yeah. And apparently he was working on some kind of secret project and we had no idea what it was and you couldn't tell and all that kind of stuff um, until uh, what was the date you mentioned? January 24th? 24th, yeah. That's when he took the paper off because he'd been working that entire time on Microsoft Basic for the Mac. Um, ah, okay. And, uh, yeah, which, you know, obviously released with it uh, that day. Um, so that was pretty interesting. It was, uh, you know, to see that happening uh, from our little corner of the world was very cool. So, yeah. All righty. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for another week. As always, thank you for listening, and we will see you all again here real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.